Hey, hi, welcome to Cold Turkey. This week I'm with Mike. Um, yeah, it was again, you know, like a, some of those uh, crazy stories. Um, you know, like I, you, you can always identify uh, some of your, you know, like your own experience to the, the ones of the people that I, 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 I'm sitting with and record with. Um, it was it was a great and interesting story. So uh, I don't want to waste any of your time. Um, I'm just going to say that, you know, like I appreciate every share, every rev reviews and every message you guys sent me. Really appreciate it. So without further ado, here's Mike. Thanks. <laughs> Hey, hi, Mike. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, where are you located? Nashville, Tennessee. Ah. But I'm originally from California, so I can say dude and I can say y'all, and it really baffles people. <laughs> and and um, the first thing, you know, like it seems like a mandatory questions uh, question, but, you know, like how is your pandemic going? You know, like how is the situation? Oh man, we're gonna go there right, right off the bat. Well, um, you know, like it's, uh, you know, I guess it's kind of a. I have to ask, you know, like a, especially you have to, with, dude, yes, yeah. inquiring minds want to know. Yeah. Um, well, this is what I always say about the pandemic. I say now the entire world knows what it's like to be an addict because they're all isolated by a disease. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I think that the pandemic uh, was pretty disruptive to me initially. You know, I had written a book um, called Great Leaders of Black Drug Addicts. And I was starting an entire uh, program that was designed to take the principles I learned in recovery and teach leaders how to lead in a different way. And we were sliding right into the pre-promotion window at the beginning of March. Yeah. Okay. And I actually walked out of my home group um, and pulled up my phone and I saw that the NBA season had been suspended and that um, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson had COVID. And I saw all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, I wonder what this means for everything we've been working on for a year. And then I get on a call with my PR company the next day. And they're like, um, all the media that we had like lined up for your book, because it's a pretty edgy title. And I had a TED Talk and all this stuff. They were like, it's all gone. Like, we'll be lucky if the presidential election gets any coverage. And you are not a president. And nobody knows who that fuck you are. So <laughs> um, you're going to take a back seat. And right when I was, so right when I was getting that information, my wife and I got COVID. Um, we did not get tested, but based off of our friend who's a provider and the symptoms that we had, we're like 99% sure that we got it. And so it was like two or three weeks. Um, one of the things that I experienced was like the cognitive fog that a lot of people talk about where like, I just couldn't, I'm a seasoned entrepreneur, um, I built successful businesses, all that kind of stuff. Should I sound like I'm bragging? Um, I, I don't mean that. I'm just an addict. But if you had dropped I, some hashtags in there, I would have, you know, told you. But yeah, you know, that's a <laughs> but but I'm, basically, my point is, I've always been able to think strategically, quickly, analyze situations, and plot a uh, plot a path forward. And I was in this cognitive fog, and I couldn't figure out what we were going to do. And my wife was like, "Do you realize that our entire like our entire team is funded by your speaking engagements, and all of those are gone?" And I was like, shoot, the book is not the biggest problem paying my employees is like, and, and so we had to go through, so I, I had to create a new plan and, 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 you know, this is this, to me, this is the beauty of recovery. 
now, and this is going to sound really arrogant. I swear anyone listening to the first five minutes is going to think I'm an arrogant prick, but I promise I'm not. <laughs> but I walk around and I'm like, I believe that God did the pandemic just for me. And I'm not trying to be insensitive at all to the way it's impacting people in terms of health and financially. It's impacting me financially too. It's impacted um, our health, but not to the degree of a lot. But what I mean by that is, is that an addict, any addict has learned the skill set to turn shit into fertilizer. Yep. And we have been able to pivot. And, and so like now with my business, I do virtual speaking. It doesn't, it, I had to let some employees go. Um, it doesn't pay the same way. That was really hard. Um, but now when I'm doing speaking, instead of being gone for two nights, I'm gone for two hours and I have an 18 month old daughter and a son on the way. And I get to spend time, more time with my family. Um, it's more conducive to my recovery. It's more conducive to my service. So like there are things that we are learning and embracing, um, in the midst of all this that I think most addicts are really resilient and have the capacity to, when they are in recovery, um, able to respond. I mean, unfortunately also when we're not. And so I would say that it's been a very interesting ride and it's been challenging, but I wouldn't change it um, for, if I could change, if I could have all the changes that we had and then I could take away everybody else's pain, I would. But yeah. for me personally, I wouldn't change the situation. It's, it's, it's um, it, a few things come into mind when you talk about that, because you know, like the first thing is um, the time that we'd have, we, we'd have wasted getting wasted we now use it, yeah. you know, like we now use it um, as a kind of a way of brainstorming ourselves. you know, like, so what's the good I can pull from that? You know, like, which is, yeah. in, 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 especially in that situation, which is, you know, like it's uncommon. We've never seen that. It's, you know, like it's kind of a tougher ride to figure it out. You know, like, like what the fuck? You know, like, what is it? You know, like, and there's some panic involved and you need to be careful, you know, because, you know, like it, it could be um, anxiety, um you know, like you can fall into anxiety and panic and paranoia. And at some point I had to shut down the TV because it was just way too much. And, um, totally. still to this day, you know, like I, 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 you know, like sometimes you know, like we, it's kind of almost like a favorite on the remote and, and you realize that it's been playing for two hours. I was like, fuck, shut this thing down. You know, like it's, it's always this, like it, 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 it almost makes the situation, um, much more dramatic than it really is, you know, like, and again, you know, like, as you said, you know, like, you are not trying to minimizing what the situation is. I'm just trying to say that um, by repeating the same information on every 15 freaking minutes, um, it gets you like almost in panic mode. But then, you know, like you have that time where usually I would have, well, first of all, I would have found right away my first, you know, like my, my back in the days, my first, um, reflex would have been okay I, I need to call my dealer you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> because totally. i won't be able to see him for a while makes sense the world is ending and i need to i need to get high yeah like, i need to get fucked up you know like big time and you know like, that doesn't make sense to my wife who's a normie but that makes a shit ton of sense neither to me. does my wife you know but 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 <laughs> yeah. you know like that's the first thing you know like let's pack up on booze and pack up on weed and and right now because i don't know what's the next time i'm going to see him and and um i just had a, a a picture of like a contrast like an addict in active addiction um 
in early March panicking, like stocking up on drugs and booze and all this stuff. And then <laughs> me in recovery, like stocking up on like cornflakes for my family <laughs> and water <laughs> and, 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 you know, like Tylenol, children's Tylenol or exactly. whatever. Yeah. And, and, and as far as I go to like when it comes to stockpiling drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and and it, it is, it, it was, um, for a while, you know, like, especially I, I had guessed that, you know, like I had a few weeks in when, when it hit and all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, like the, it was, it was sure still meetings, but, you know, like, you know, minus the Uggs, minus the, you know, like the human contact, minus this yep. and that. And, and, um, I felt for them, you know, like big freaking time. And I was pretty, pretty much like the, one of the first to actually reach out to some of my, you know, like the... I don't like calling them the elders, but you know, like some people that I knew that had more time and say, guys, you know, like we need to find, you know, like the, the quickly, we need to find if, you know, like word organization of the fraternities has, you know, like um, established like the line of conduct because I had already heard of, you know, like some, some um, misbehaviors at, at online meetings, which could again, you know, like make, make some, some um, sobriety fragile and, yep. I was I was worried about that. You know, like I was like I I was still recording my thing, you know, like so I I knew that I would have as close to a human contact almost to a hug level because it's one on one because it's you know like in such a proximity but you know like 50 people and you get zoom bombed and you know like you hear like the the beer bottles clinging and you know like it's it's for some it, it, it Still to this day, it's a hard, it's a hard face for them, you know. Like and uh, yep, and yeah, I mean, like it's a a lot of. Um, but as the question I had is, you know, like the, the, in terms of your own region, is is always uh, Tennessee handling it? So in in the south of so in the south of the U.S., um, we have a tendency to be all about. Um, our personal freedoms and individuality at the expense of the greater public. So um, we've been pretty uh, flippant when it comes to the regulations um, as a, as a, as a region. And I don't care about the politics. I just, you know, I figure I don't really think it hurts me a ton to like, for example, wear a mask, but if, it does help other people. Like I'm willing to make that sacrifice, but so we, we've not handled it as well. Like, uh, so like Tennessee was in the, um, like top 10% of, or like the lowest 10% of infections. Um, when this thing really started taking off, um, part of that's just because of how, um, we don't have the same level of density as like the coast do in terms of our populations. Yep. That's, that's an uneducated opinion, but like, I think it makes sense, but we are now, um, in the top quartile for infections cause we don't have a cohesive strategy around how we contain. Um, and so I think it's, you know, I think it's to be determined. Like, I mean, I don't know, man, I'm not, I'm, I'm not into politics and I'm not into government. I'm really grateful that there are people that are into all that stuff that they manage the world. I just try to think global, but act local. Yeah. And I don't know if like, you know, we look back on this and we go, we should have done that. We shouldn't have done that. I do know from my own personal side of the street, I don't, most of the things that I need to do to theoretically help other people feel safe or be safe are not a tremendous infringement on my personal safety or time. And I'm willing to do that. Um, the financial impact has been significant for us, but 
um, not as great as for other people. And, um, I also think that like, if you're an addict and you're in recovery, you have incredible coping skills for how to deal with life and life's terms. Um, and we all have a great perspective as long as we've worked a good first step, because we know we've all been in worse situations. Um, at the same time, that doesn't mean that like navigating this isn't difficult. So people around, it's just like, we have the whole variety in, in, in Tennessee. We got people that are pretending that nothing's happened. And then we got people that are all like upset and we got everything in between. And, um, for me and my wife, uh, we're just, you know, what we've learned is, uh, we're introverts. So we actually really kind of dig the whole social isolation thing. It's working for us. Um, <laughs> I miss the hugs at the meetings. Um, but, uh, at the same time, I really like the convenience. The commute is killer. Um, but if I could change it, I would be, uh, my wife and I talk about this. We go to a workout place called orange theory. Um, and if not for orange theory and for my home group, I think we would be perfectly okay staying at home the rest of our lives. Like that's not good for our kids and that's not feasible for our relationships with other people. But like we had actually, we've come to really enjoy staying at home. It gave us permission to, uh, really own the inner, the introvert that we are introverts that we are. Yeah. And, um, it is, you're absolutely right. Like I'd rather have people at my place than going out, you know, like that's, that's me, you know, like I, I live, I like being host of events and, and much, much more than, you know, like me going out and, you know, like not being in my things, quote unquote, you know, like, so. Yeah, but we don't even want people over at our house. So this is I know right now, you know, like right now, actually, you know, like there's, there's a, there's a law in my region that doesn't allow more than three families. And that means that, you know, and, and I mean by that three household, so mine and two. So there's not a lot of people that can come in, you know, like, so even if I wanted to, my wife really wants to have like that summer barbecue party and we're actually going to be outlaws next Saturday, you know, like, so. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so we'll find out if uh, suddenly we go cold on, on cold Turkey podcast. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So let's, um, let's rewind that tape back to the first memories you'd have, Mike, of either you using, um, or, you know, like any, any, um, substance use that has, that now later you realize that had impact on your life, you know, like, and, and maybe give me a little bit of a family picture and, you know, like, uh, let's go back way back on, you know, like the beginning and the genesis of it all. So, um, I had a, I had a pretty normal childhood. Um, my parents were entirely too protective. And as a result, um, I didn't understand how to deal with life and life's terms. And cause I was insulated from dealing with life for uh, when I was younger, but then when I had to become social, I just didn't know how to manage like, um, my feelings when people did things, um, because I was so protected. Um, which, you know, is an incredible thing to have, but like it really stunted my emotional growth. And then, so you pair that with the fact that I had the genetic predisposition towards, um, addiction, my dad's an alcoholic. And so, um, when I was the, the best thing I could, I, I was a good kid for a while, you know, I was really uncomfortable in my own skin, but, um, and we moved, you know, at a time where it would set me back socially and all this kind of stuff. And I was youngest in my grade or one of the youngest, but, um, I remember distinctly in high school, like my sophomore year or something, my parents sitting me down and saying, you know, I don't, they'd always talked about, like said these really weird cryptic things about how my dad doesn't drink, but they never really had explicitly addressed it. And, um, they said, okay, so 
if you want to experiment with alcohol and drugs, you shouldn't because your dad's an alcoholic. And so he proceeds to tell me about how, you know, he was a lawyer and he would go to the bars when he was done working. And when I was like six or seven months old, he came home drunk and he picked me up from my crib and he dropped me and he looked himself in the mirror and he said, I can be a father or I can be an alcoholic, but I can't be both. Now, my dad is um, a good Midwestern dude from Michigan that um, puts everybody else in front of him. And he's one of those rare people that was able to quit cold turkey. Um, there you go. There's the podcast Boom. name. But, um, <laughs> and he was able to stay quit despite never working a program um, in, you know, at the beginning or in the first 25 years. So breaks um, full on just on his own will. He did. Now, now the thing is, is that he became a dry drunk. So then yeah. we saw rage, we saw workaholism, we saw, we saw it come out in the other ways, codependency. It transpires but, somewhere. Yeah. And so, so the thing that is I growing up, I had a model for, um, a bad way to stay sober. Um, it definitely better than, than staying drunk, but, but not the, not the best model for, for recovery, even though I, I, I tell people all the time, like, I'm so grateful. Like, I think my dad he did something far more remarkable than what I've done. Um, because I couldn't, I don't think I could have, you know, stayed sober well, and, and, with and he did no toolbox, right? You're like, just no toolbox. Like, I just, I think I would have imploded. I would have, I would have taken myself out something, but like my dad is just like, he's got this work ethic and this, um, I don't know, but like, don't let any, any addict out there. I don't think work ethic gets you out of it. Like th the thing is, is that this is what I've come to learn. There's like one out of every million that can, you know, do the dry drunk thing. And then we don't talk about the 999,000 because they're dead. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, you can test the odds, but they're not very good. So I remember them doing that. And so one thing that you should How not old were do, you, Mike? How old were you? I was you? like, um, let's see, it was my sophomore year. I was probably like 15. So just just a, a, a bit of a step back, you know, like any siblings in there, you know, like in, the, in that family picture? Yes. Uh, I have a sister that's 17 months younger than me. Okay. And, and so... Before that, um, my guess is that, you know, like, so there was mom, dad, uh, your sister, and yourself. Yep. Um, pretty, my guess is that either no or very little alcohol in, in the house because of that, yeah. of that None. situation, right? Yeah, yep. nothing. Um, and in terms of your own personal experience, you said you were overprotected, but my guess is by, by 15 year old, you must have seen some people mm -hmm. either playing with it or, you know, like just like kind of, you know, like I've, I've give it a taste, it, yep. not, not necessarily you, but you seeing other folks, um, having fun with alcohol. Can you tell me a bit more of, you know, like, because I, I see that often where, you know, like you're, you're so kind of in a bubble that yep. it doesn't take much where oh, dude, you it, see it popped. Exactly. So and, and seeing a little bit down. of wild, you know, like just a bit of wild is just like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. So, so they, so they sat me down, told me not to use. And so if you have a kid that you think is an addict, don't do that. Cause now all I could think about was what does it mean to use? Um, and so within a year, um, they had had a, 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 like a barbecue where they, where someone had brought over some beer and they had like put it away in a cabinet And, um, and my parents had forgotten it was there. They're like, cause they, they don't even care. They don't manage it. They don't, my dad was not looking for it, like nothing like that. And so when they told me about that, um, when they told me that I was an addict and not to drink, I was like, oh, I should try that beer. Cause that's how we think. 
And so I went and drank like a four-year-old beer. It, like I'd been there for four years or something like that. I was totally flat. Um, and, uh, and nothing happened. I, I couldn't feel the buzz. Um, and so then, uh, I decided that I would sleep over at a friend's and, and they had all been drinking. And so up until this point, I had been like a, a goody goody. Um, I had refused, I'd seen it, but I'd refused it. But now that I knew that, like, I don't know, I'm predisposed and I was curious and it woke up this desire. Um, I, within a year, I got so drunk my first time at a friend's house on hard liquor that the next night. So like the next day that night I'm at a tutors and they told my parents that I reeked of alcohol. Um, I put white out in a bag and tried to huff it. Um, and I smoked weed for the first time. And I also, and this is a really embarrassing story, decided to try to start smoking cigarettes. And a friend told me how to smoke and I didn't understand that you had to double inhale. And and so he gave me this coaching and then I called him because my cigarette had broken in half. And I said, what do I do? And he said, put tape around it and then smoke it. But he failed to tell me not to smoke the tape. And so I smoked the tape. And so I basically experimented with all this crap and I'm not glorifying it. it none of it was like that enjoyable, but it just, I became very interested. I, I tried my parents' pain medication. Basically they woke up the curiosity. I experimented. I did not go, I, because I was so protected, I did not, um, I knew where I, where I could get weed from a friend um, and I got some, but I didn't do anything regularly because all my friends were good kids. So like they would just do like something here or there. Friday evening. On the weekend or whatever. Yeah. But it wasn't until college when I was in a new social circle and away from my home that I completely went nuts. And you're going to oh. find that, you know, like you're going to find those peers, you know, like high school has like the, you, well, first of all, you need to find the fucking money to, <laughs> to party, you know, like, so yeah. there's, there's yeah. less, there's less money involved, you know, like, I mean, in your, in your daily life, you know, like, so some have little jobs, but you know, like it's, it's so little that, you know, like, so you, you, you kind of accumulate it. And then on a Friday or on a Saturday, you kind of find a way to, you know, like either smuggle booze or whatever. And, you know, like it's kind of almost like an event and then college, college come and all of a sudden you find like the weed ad and the pot ads and, you know, like the, 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 the almost like the binge drinkers that, well, you got first the of all, freedom, you got the access yeah. and, and it's just, it's a, it's a whole other deal. What was yeah. your relation to authority? You know, like, especially when you know, like you come from, uh, you know, like a, a pretty much like a bubble of, of yep. you know, like the, the parenthood was pretty much a bubble. Um, how do you deal with authority? My guess is that pretty quickly that becomes kind of a pain in the ass or, or how do you deal with it? Oh, no, I was pretty good with authority. Uh, yeah? I, like I was one of those people who was scared of authority, but like not the I've been beat up scared, just like this like healthy my parents are pretty paranoid people. So like, uh, just like the, the worry about like getting, you know, arrested was like, that's one of the ways that they, you know, made me, uh, overprotected is instilling the fear of God in me of if I do something wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. But, um, I didn't have, you know, I'm re I was really fortunate. I didn't grow up in a part of our society where I had a lot of negative interactions with authority. So you, I was just kind of like, you make fearful. Me think, you know, like, It was the same for me. My yeah. one of my buddy, I probably was, I think I was 12 or 13, told me that, you know, like if you break a spark plug, 
the, ceram the ceramic, if you take a piece, you can throw it quite softly into a, a car window and it would break. You know, like, so, so find a spark plugs in my car's in my father's garage, break it, and so every one of us had like a little piece. You know, like, so all of a sudden it becomes kind of a mission to find a car window to test that theory. Actually, you know, like, so yeah, and so. Under this pretty much like the same author, author, authority circumstances as yours, you know, like so I'm I'm the most fucking chicken of the bunch, but you know, like I have like that little piece of thing in my in my pocket, and so there were two or three, at least another friend that was as as scared shitless as I was, <laughs> and um, so we kind of throw it, but like like fucking you know like so weakly, you know, like so so that you know like. It bounced and fell, and obviously, in any any of those little group, you know, like there's one that's just more ballsy than the others and just throws yeah. it. Yeah, you know, like, like we fall into time. the social structure rules, and probably has to play that yeah, role. probably ran my first half marathon at twelve. You know, like <laughs> I, I I I ran I ran away so quick and so far, I was just terrified of getting caught. You know, like so. I was always the one refusing to get in that stolen car and and you know like I remember one Halloween I was a bit older and they had stolen one of our friend's dad's car um picked the keys and you know like they were driving around you know like our blocks and you know our neighborhood and hey come on Alex you know like get in get in and you know like I couldn't I just couldn't I was like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You know, like if I get caught, I'm going to be, even though my parents never, like you said, you know, like it was never a threat of, you know, like being beat up or, or whatever, but my guess was I'm going to, they're going to kill me. You know, like they're, <laughs> yeah. they're going to be so angry and so pissed that, you know, like I can't do it. You know, like, so I was uh, as far, you know, like, you know, like there's a lot of crossroads in our lives and, time tells you, you know, like where where you know like some of these folks have ended up but you know like um i was like you just said you know like i was the one choosing like the always the safest path just in case you know like i i yeah it, it made me like quite a worried individual I, on that front i think when we talk about that stuff it really reinforces um this whole notion that we learn in recovery of not to compare our uh insides to other people outsides because you know i, I was really lucky um, I mean, I had a challenge, so I don't want to minimize it. I had a child, I had a very challenging childhood. Um, but a lot of it was emotional stuff, um, emotional stuff in the family, um, emotional stuff for me. And, and it was extremely challenging. Um, I was depressed at the same time. Like I, I, you know, I wasn't worried about food, clothes, and shelter. I wasn't physically abused. Um, I wasn't living in an environment where authority was, um, out to get me or, or I was facing violence on the street. And so I think that it just reinforces this notion that an addict can be made anywhere. Um, and we, yeah. we have a tendency to see these like really glorified versions of like, uh, excess, either like someone that's like got everything against them and is absolutely getting beat up and like everything just fucking sucks or the person that has everything and they both get addicted to X and they both Y, but then there's the rest of us that are somewhere in the middle. Um, we yep. all have the things that we experience. And at the end of the day, um, pain is a relative thing. Our, our, you know, pain is inevitable. 
This is not my quote. Someone else says, but pain is inevitable and suffering is optional and suffering occurs to the degree that we resist reality. And so reality, all reality is, is our expectation of our experience. So if I expect to, you know, have a positive experience and it's negative, I feel pain regardless of whether or not um, that positive and negative experience are about whether or not um, I can walk down the street safely or whether my dad's going to come home with an Archie comics book. Like it doesn't like as a kid, I'm experiencing pain. And the problem is, is that no one taught me how to deal emotionally with life on life's terms. Yeah. No one taught me how to do that. And I was a very emotional child and I had a lot of emotional stuff happen in my household. And so I was kind of like an emotional um, roller coaster. I felt very intensely. I didn't know how to deal with the feelings and it was very, you know, highs and lows. Um, and as a result, I sought what any addict seeks when they don't feel comfortable in their own skins. I sought the oper- I sought the things that could consistently numb me. I have to ask you, Mike, right now, um, because of, you know, like what you just said, do you think addicts are made or they're born like this? I personally think it's a combination of nature and nurture. I, I, I think, I, I think it's both. I think that, so not, let's be clear. I have no college degree. I have no clinical. No, uh, neither do I. You know, like, but yeah, I, I personally believe that what we suffer from is a variant of obsessive compulsive disorder. That's very specifically, we are obsessed with being able to predict how we feel. And, and that is why we are willing to knowingly reproduce negative experiences as opposed to having variable potential for possible, possibly good and positive experiences. I will take the drug that makes me feel bad and makes me go through this thing, but I can predict how I feel over, I might feel good if I go without drugs tonight or whatever. And that's why addicts in recovery, a lot of us become either insane thrill seekers because all we're really looking for is like that internal thrill and experience of adrenaline or a lot of us become very regimented and scheduled and have to do the same thing over and over again. I remember um, going to like uh, an amusement park with a bunch of my friends and we flew out to this place and I was like, we have to come back here every day because I wanted to reproduce the feeling that I was having. And inevitably I like try to go back and I didn't have the feeling that I was having. And so I think we want to be able to predict how we feel and as human beings, there's really only one way to do that. And that's to chemically create an experience that is chemically consistent with creating a feeling that we can predict. Otherwise we are subject to life and life's terms and the inevitable variability of our lives. And I think that for me, um, I was, I, I, I have that natural obsessive mentality around my feelings about wh- how I want to feel. Um, like a lot of us, I'm, I'm really maniacal about like what my experience is, like what's happened to me before I have my coffee in the morning, where, where I eat, what I'm going to eat, like all these different things. Um, and if you don't give me the right skills to be able to deal with when reality doesn't occur the way that I want it to, and I feel feelings that are scary, I'm going to start looking to things to solve that. And, yeah. and society does an incredible job advertising all the things that can make me feel numb. Like I see it in in the movies. I see it through alcohol, right? I see it in the ads and then I see it through my friends. And so bam, right there, there's an opportunity, cigarettes, drugs, movies, you name it. Like everything tells me, man, it's all one big advertisement that says, if you want to be able to control how you feel and shut this shit off, 
this is for you. And so I think for me, like that's, that's, that's what I believe happened for me. And so I think it's, I had to have the nature to give me that obsessive mentality and that variant or whatever, but I needed the nurture because my sister had this, the same DNA, although I hear it's more predominant in males, but she isn't um, obsessive over, like she doesn't have any problems with substances, but she is like ridiculously crazy work ethic like crazy, like there, I have a strong work ethic and she's way better than me, but also like crazy about like triathlons and she's got three kids. And, and so like, she's crazy about her food, obsessed over like what she's going to eat or whatever. And so she's got the own, her her outlets for that stuff. And I think that just substances ended up being my, my thing. And now like, uh, being a guest on podcasts is my new way of controlling my feelings. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Like, like we said, um, like I told you before we started recording, my wife will affectionately say that, you know, like I'm, I'm a passionate individual. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, so, mine too. She literally uh, said it the same way. And I know that she means something far more negative. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then you're again, you know, like, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> but then again, you know, like she said, she says, if you pick that piece of equipment, for example, you know, like we're, we're shopping for a TV, if you pick that TV, I know that there are countless hours of you on the tablet and on the computer <laughs> looking for the reviews of that thing. Yep. You know, like, and, and I know that we've picked the best ever. And I'm like, well, you're right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you know what that is? Like, at least for me, that's, I'm trying to control how I will feel when I get the TV. I don't want to be surprised with a negative experience. So I'm going to yeah. do everything I can. I've spent all those hours to cop. Now I'm going to spend all those hours watching Amazon reviews, yeah. trying to get to the same place. And my wife is a little bit more, she has, she has some of that as a normie, but she's like, <sighs> like, can't you just wake up one day and like, in order to hang out with me and, and, and your daughter, um, do you really have to do the exact same things where you like meditate and do your exercises and read your stuff? And I'm like, the difference between you and me is when I wake up, my disease has been up for hours yeah. and I don't know anything can set me off. I could have a good day. I could not. But when I do these things in a routine, it normalizes me to the same place. It allows me to work through all that stuff. And then you get a better father slash husband, um, better, obviously I'm not her father, father for our daughter, um, a better husband. But it resets the clock. That's what I've learned is like routine helps me normalize all these wild experiences and routines, a healthy way to deal with that, um, as opposed to alcohol and drugs. And it's baselining, you know, like it's kind of a, you know, a process of baselining, you know, like, you, you, okay, this is, this is me on reset. I'm good to go, you know, like, and, and so I do the same with training. I have like that. It's funny because my wife, uh, you know, like we're, we're on, on not diet, but you know, like we decided to play with keto dieting and, you know, like, so, Ah, so I'm I'm like on this and, and since the pandemic, you know, like I started being more diligent on my training and my running schedule and, and so on and so forth. And so it became, I'm almost like a, like a Swiss watch, you know, like, so I, you know, like I wake up, my wife goes training, I go, you know, drop my son to daycare, uh, in, 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 you know, like in the stroller running and I leave the stroller there. So I make sure that I'm going to be, I have to pick it up. So I need to run back to the daycare to pick it up and bring my son back home. You know, like the, the, so it becomes kind of, okay, if I, 
And if I skip a day, my wife, you know, like for um, for instance, like the last few weeks we were on vacation, and I was like, well, we're good, you know, like we're going, you know, like we were driving to a few hours from here, and we're good. And all I can think is, well, should I bring like like a mat and do this like in the room, and you know, like try to keep my schedule and all that? You know, like it was just tough for me to let go. You know, like it's tough for me to. Um, like just like you know, like I I would look at my my plate and say, mm, you know, like this I shouldn't be eating, and you know, like and that. And my wife's like, no, you're good, you know, like you, you <laughs> let go. I'm like, no, I you know, like there's something about um, when there's a frame. Not only do I like it, but it's almost like reassuring to have like that frame, either like a, yeah. a frame of schedule or a frame of of whatever, you know, like. Anything that's framed, I'm like, okay, I'm good. You know, like I have those boundaries. If you know, like, and and I used to love breaking those fucking boundaries. You know, like, and and I, right. I consider myself almost like an anti-conformist in my in almost in my soul. But now it's just like, okay, give me like the training regimen. Give me something that I know tomorrow. I I exactly know tomorrow morning what I'm going to be training on. You know, like, and 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 it becomes kind of. A, Almost like you, like I said, you know, like it's baselining yourself almost, you know. So, I all think, right, Mike. Uh, also, I don't know if this is true for you, but for me, there's like this deep down, there's a fear that if I let myself get off that schedule, I'll never get back. Not only that, Mike, I tried, you know, like the the, the exercising. I've tried, you know, like yeah. I, I tried just giving workout a break, and I balloon forty pounds. You know, like I, I right. you know, like or I tried giving. And right now, which is which is fantastic, is that you know, like I don't um, have a feeling of suppressing myself of anything. Um, not to not to glorify the like the keto diet, but th- this is for once something that I found that has pretty much everything that you know, like I haven't sacrificed taste or or, or almost the satiety, um, like the, the 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 I'm not hungry at all. Yep. And and I I'm I'm in a position where you know like everything's tasty, everything tastes fantastic, and what I've I was like a sugar, big time sugar addict, and just didn't know or just didn't find a way to uh, get rid of that addiction. You know like a, and and I had a guest that told me a, a lot about sugar addiction, and that was always in the back of my mind. And I was like, well, I need to find a way to replace it or find like compromises. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, so, so that, that became kind of, okay, that's fantastic. It's reassuring. And, and, um, but I've tried, I've tried saying, okay, relax, you know, like it's no big deal. You know, like just a few days off. Dude, and- we do, we do it. We, we do it. We do it all one way, man. Yeah. We're either like and taking care of it or we're like letting it all go. You just remind me that all I in have, or uh, fuck some off. banana pudding in the fridge and I can't wait to eat it. <laughs> yeah. It's all in or fuck off. You know, like, and my wife sometimes is like, really? You know, like, you're going to eat it all? I'm like, well, it, it's there. <laughs> Dude, my wife, like, it's literally like she just, she's trying. Um, do you ever see the movie Memento? Yeah. Okay, so there's this there's this uh, scene for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, but this guy um, basically we're, they're talking about this condition where you only have short term memory and you can't remember anything long term. And so this guy would take care of his wife's insulin, and she just was incredulous. She couldn't believe that he couldn't remember when he had given it last. So to test him, she she like kept saying it's time for my insulin, and he would just give it to her like it was the first time, and it killed her. 
And, and, and it was just like, she just couldn't believe that he couldn't remember that he had given her insulin. Well, less dramatic. And that's a movie. Thank God. But like less dramatic, my wife every once in a while put sugar around the house and then gets all pissed off when I eat it all. And I'm like, dude, I told you how this works. You have to hide it from me. And, and, and when you hide it from me, I don't eat it all because I don't know it's there. But if you like show it to me, give me a little bit, like I will hunt it out. I'll be like a freaking bloodhound dog and I will go through everything and find it. Like I will like, it's just, it's it, it. And she's like, but why? I'm like, dude, why did I use drugs and alcohol so much? Like, I don't know, man. I know I'm a recovering addict. And I know that if you, if we keep sugar in the house, I will eat more than I need to. And so I, I, I've shown accept. up, <laughs> I've shown up candies at least twice. Yeah. You know, like that, you know, like I, yeah. I you know, like I, I, I've threw up a rainbow of little, those little fucking nerds thing, you know, like those little, <laughs> you know, like, so I threw, I threw up, it, uh, it that, became that kind of a running everybody joke. Everybody will be in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was almost like a, I, I remember having a coworker and telling him about that, you know, like I was struck in traffic, but like the biggest fucking box of, of nerds and, and stuck in traffic, starting eating them and eating them and realizing that I went through the old box and I had, because I was actually stuck in traffic, just like open my door and, and throw up and was like, are you a fucking kid? What is that? You know, like you're, you're, you're sick of candies. And so, so I tell that story to a coworker and he's like, I can't fucking believe it. You know, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, like that's how I'm built. You know, like I, I have to be careful about that. And, um. That was like a few years back when I tell him that story. And a few weeks later, it was another one of those gummy thing. And I end up like almost eating like a full pounder of those. And, and again, got sick. And, and I was like, I think it was like the next Monday. I tell him, I'm like, fuck, man. You know, like I, he's like, are you realizing that you tell me that, you know, like a story that happens a few years back didn't teach you a lesson that, you know, like, you you know like you can't eat too much of those i'm like well i guess not you know like so i just need to be careful about not having them around or yep. not having that much around me and i'm going to be good you know like so so sometimes it's all about you know like should i the time spent being um abstinent makes it that you 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 can talk more to yourself and stop bullshitting yourself you know like yep. it's like you know like so you know, like, have I ever overtrained? I mean, fuck yeah, you know, like big time. But now I just like, okay, that's too much. You know, like, you, you, you don't go there. That's way too much, and you need to yeah. be careful. And same for, you know, like, like, like the the sweets, and you know, like, I. But I think it was it was it yesterday that my wife was like, you. It was Saturday. My wife's like, we we did like hamburgers and whatever, and she's like, you're gonna eat another one. I'm like, yeah, and she's like. So you're going to be like crash, crashing on the sofa, crying your life. You're like, I ate too much. You know, like, like uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe. It, it, I mean, I'm glad that you <laughs> noticed the trend so you know what's about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, tell me about the, your college years. You know, like you said that, you know, like all L broke loose during college. Um, it was a long parenthesis, but you know, like, um, 
what happened in college? Um, so for me, I went through a period where, um, I was, so I was kicked out of my parents' house and they, they had been, you know, paying for college. And, and so I was like cut off. And so I, my junior year of college, um, I had to figure out how to like pay, you know, get a job, um, pay for school, do all that stuff. I had a girlfriend and, um, for me, and this is just my story, but, um, I had always been labeled as someone with uh, potential. And then I'd also always been labeled as someone that didn't try very hard. Um, and so that was true. And so my parents kept trying to get me diagnosed with ADD and they finally did. And so I took, um, all these ADD meds and I had a really terrible psychiatrist that upped my dose to like street level speed strength. And so, um, I suddenly could study very well. Um, and that's what like triggered my desire, my addiction. Um, at least that's what I believe because what happened is, uh, a good psychiatrist found out what was going on. I was studying, everything was going great. And he's like, dude, you are on an insane amount of this prescription medication, but basically it's an amphetamine. And so he took it down. I was like a 500% higher dose than I was supposed to be on. When he took it down, um, I started to try to, uh, essentially backfill that high with, um, alcohol and cigarettes. And, um, and so I basically went from being a straight A student in college to within a year, um, oh, my video just, uh, um, replaced lucky. I'm a pro. I got a backup camera and everything. Um, so within a year I'd gone from being, uh, a straight A student to being somebody who was kicked out of school. Um, and for me, like I just had to meet, I, I created these little rationalizations that, um, I was going to like drive through Jack in the box and I was going to have a spicy taco and I needed, uh, you know, 12 beers to wash it down. And, and so then I just like kept increasing like these rationalizations that I had for, oh, I'm still there. You're still there? All right. Yeah, there yeah. we go. So I had all these <laughs> rationalizations where I started just increasing my use. And so literally within a year, um, I was kicked out of school. I was kicked out of my, uh, I was fired from my job. I was kicked out of my house and my car had been repossessed. And um, all my friends graduated college and here I am and I got nothing. And um, it just accelerated so quickly. Um, and at the end I was doing, you know, I would, whatever, whoever I had to steal from to, to get the money to get high, wherever I had to go to get high. Um, you know, and I had this one night that I think a lot of us can relate to where I'd woken up that morning and I didn't recognize the guy in the mirror. I I'd ballooned. I was 50 pounds heavier than I, I would always been the skinny kid. There was like no gram of fat on me. I was just like this very overweight guy that looked completely dead in the eyes that, had nothing that was throwing up blood. My liver enzymes were through the roof. My fingers were stained from nicotine. Um, and I barely could breathe from all the smoke that I was inhaling between, you know, the drugs and, and cigarettes. And I decided that I was going to try to use more that night than I'd ever used. And I thought on the low end, I would be higher than I'd ever been. And on the high end, I would die. And I took more than I'd ever taken 
And for five minutes I felt high enough and then I wanted more. And then I just started crying. Cause I was like, shit, man, I can't, I can't even stay high enough. Like I can't do anything in life, but like, I can't even stay high enough. And so, um, I started to get curious about help while at the same time, um, just completely careening towards the abyss and, you know, I was homeless and the only thing keeping me off the street was my buddy's couch. And I was starting to wear out my welcome and I was stealing from him. I was eating his food, drinking his alcohol, um, disrespecting his space. And, um, my dad took, would take me to a meal every couple of weeks. And I knew that he would say he wanted to buy me food, but it was just cause he wanted to know that his son was still alive and he would always offer to send me a rehab. And so, um, when I started to, t- to realize that my friend was going to kick, probably kick me out and I was gonna have to live on the street. I was like, I'd rather be in rehab than live on the street. And so September 1st, 2002, uh, I woke up at the Betty Ford Center in Rancho Mirage, California. And to this day, September 1st, 2002 is my clean date. Wow. What was your first, you know, like, because, you know, like you, you, you just said it, you know, like you, you actually ended up in rehab because um, you wanted to save your ass from being on the street, um, which is, you know, like there's no bad reason for going to rehab, you know, like so. Right. Um, What's the first realization? You know, like what's, you know, like because, you know, like obviously you, you suddenly were lodged and fed and, you know, like so, you know, like you, you, the first 24 hours seems like the perfect life, you know, like, but what was the first, what has hit you like a truck when, you know, like to get you, to keep you clean? So the first 48 hours, I went around telling everybody that I didn't belong there. Um And I remember there was a book that they gave me that most of us in recovery know. I'm not going to reference the specific book, but in it, it said something to the extent of let any alcoholic who thinks they're not an alcoholic, um, not have a drink for a year. And then it had something, some other staying that said something to the extent of try having two drinks and stopping. And I knew that I couldn't do either of those. Um, and then I started hearing, this is the most like humbling experience that we've all experienced for those of us in recovery. When you hear your story coming out of everybody else's mouth, it's really hard to ignore. You have a problem stuff when you see everybody reflecting back to you, the things that you try to explain away. It's easy when, when I was out there and I had friends and family that would like try to be my friend or hang out and I could just explain away this stuff. That's one thing. It's quite another when you have to keep hearing your story come out of other people's mouth over and over and over again. And you see, you know, it, we can't spot our own self-deception, but we can spot it in others. And so you start to see that. And so I remember I was um, at the end of my second day, I was at a lecture. And this is going to be controversial for some of us at, uh, in recovery, but I was at a lecture that said that um, if you continue to smoke in your recovery, you have a 50% greater chance of relapse because it keeps the neurological pathway open and that creates craving. And so I remember having heard my story enough that I was like, well, crap, if I'm, if I'm here and this might be the one chance I have to change my life and to live, I don't want to hurt it. And so I turned in all my cigarettes after that. And then like an hour later, I was asking for them back. And I, and just something about all those experiences where I was able to see like my addiction even to the cigarettes and, and, and to the drugs and the alcohol and hearing people, I just started to realize, and I, I just had this moment of clarity where I, I was like, 
before I checked in, I was just looking for somewhere to get a meal and to get shelter. But I believed that I was a walking dead man and that I would be dead within a year or two. I mean, I wanted to take myself out. So like if, if natural things didn't happen, I would, I didn't think I was going to see 25. But one of the cool things is, as most of us know, is I also, they brought in people that had recovery. And so it's one thing to hear your story come out of the mouth of 27 other patients that are all where you're at. It's another thing to hear it from an alumni that was there with you that says, dude, there is another way. It is fucking possible. Like it is possible. I didn't even know what recovery was before I got clean, before I walked in there. I didn't know, I didn't know that there was an option. Like I knew the people, so I knew about uh, fellowships. I knew about meetings, but I didn't, it didn't register that it was an option for me. Yeah. Or that my option or, or that. Cause you know, like I, I, when, when I was my, it's actually my father that, you know, offered me to go to therapy. Like, so, so I was pretty much rock bottom and my father, um, said probably, you know, like he, he, he has to underestimate how much these words are important for you know like the rest of my life but he said don't you want to help yourself you know like that was pretty much what he said um and i broke down i said whatever it is that you know like fucking bring it you know like i you know like whatever he would have said that day i would have done you know like so yeah. so i was i was to that point um and to to pretty much like a, a similar experience to yours you know like i ended up there it was february 25th in my in my in my part of town, it was fucking cold, but fucking cold. And so imagine you know, I have a few hours of, you know, like I'm, I'm a few hours dry. Um, I just unpack my bags and someone offered that, you know, we take a walk outside, you know, like I'm like, okay, you know, like that's pretty much going to change my mind on, you know, like using and whatever. And I'm not kidding. It was so fucking cold and didn't want to say you know, like I'm, I'm gonna freeze to death right here you know like I'm, I'm 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 just gonna die you know um shut my mouth and we walked for maybe an hour it was it was so bad and when i got back to the room first of all we were sharing rooms which was for me just a nightmare you know like you talked about being an introvert i'm 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 i i i i shares my intimacy let's say that way <laughs> so just sharing my room was just like i couldn't i i couldn't wrap my head around that and as you you know like i, I as you did you know like it was just like did i really belong here and my what my brain did is i i went to sleep pretty much telling myself if i wake up here tomorrow morning which is weird though you know because i well obviously i would wake up there but you know like my brain said, if I wake up here tomorrow morning, I belong here. And so sure enough, you know, like I fucking lay there and, you know, like, so I woke up and said, well, okay, I'm going to do the 21 days. And, you know, it was a 21 day, uh, therapy. Um, and, and it is, you're, you know, like for, for those that listen that, you know, like haven't, um, are just like thinking about, you know, like either attending or, you know, like wanted to hear about someone, um, you know, like tell about his life, you know, like there is that moment where, you know, like you absolutely are convinced that they're talking to you. Yeah. You're absolutely. You absolutely are convinced that not only are they talking to you, but they're talking about you. And then 
you're like, oh my God, this guy's life story is the is mine. You know, like it's it's me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that and that changes everything because like I knew about recovery options, you know, and there's a lot of great options, whether it's therapy, rehab, 12 step, like other types of programs. And um it's one thing to, for other people to say you can stop because all I thought was like, fuck you, dude, you don't know what this is like. Yeah. It's not possible, but it's another thing for someone to say, I've been where you are and then be able to share experiences that make me believe it because I'm able to spot myself. And then for them to sit there and say, and I've got four years clean and I thought it would never be possible, but I'm here to tell you it's possible. Like th- with the second someone that I identify with that gets where I'm at is able to show me that it's possible. Suddenly it's really hard. You know, we got, we got a saying, right? A head full of recovery will fuck up your using. Well, yep. like that, that shattered the notion that there wasn't an, I liked the idea that there wasn't an option for me to get better. It's comforting. It simplified things, right? It's comforting. But Dude, it was scary as hell when I when someone shared their story and I believed it that it was possible. But like I was like, oh, that, fuck that! I don't want to hear that. Tell me more. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interested. Like you're not, and then and then of course like you do the attic thing, or at least I did the attic thing, where it's like you're like, no, dude, this guy's lying. All right, I'm gonna ask him some questions, and he's gonna show me that he's actually using or whatever. And then it's like you ask these questions, and I, I'll never forget uh, my rehab. Um, they had these guys from not from the traditional liquid fellowship. They were uh, hardcore drug users. They were these bikers and they still had this like hardcore biking mentality. Like I was scared when they showed up, like I'm like, I'm in treatment and I'm the active drug addict basically. And they're the ones in recovery, but I was scared as hell of them. And then they're talking about how committed they are to their recovery, but, but what it was like before. And it's just like, dude, like if those guys can do it, like, I could do it, but I don't want to. But then like you keep hearing like what's possible and you keep hearing what happens if you don't. And it's like, well, you know what? If I was going to give up on life, I might as well try this like for real. I would hate to give up on life. And like, you know, if I have an opportunity to look back and go, I could have tried this because you know what? There was a period of time where we go all the way back to me being, you know, protected. I wasn't willing to try alcohol and drugs, but I was, I eventually became willing to try them. And then at some point I was all about trying them. Right. I was all about doing them. I'd hate to look back on my life and have it end at age 25 and go, Oh, I could have tried this thing called recovery, but I just wasn't willing to try it. Like the way I was a drug. And so I was like, all right, let me try, let me try recovery. Like it's a drug. Let me actually use it. Like it's a drug. And you know what? Those people out there are like, Oh, you're just addicted to the program. Like, fuck. Yeah, I am great. Next. Because this yep. is a great addiction. You're addicted to oxygen and I don't have any problem with you being addicted to oxygen. So don't have any problem with me being addicted to my recovery. I am addicted to my recovery and that transference saved my life. And, you know, like I, I my own experience made it that, you know, like um, that those 21 days made me scared of relapsing. Yeah. For a, a long time. I would say almost to this day, you know, like I, yeah. I, 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 I have um, a genuine scare of falling back, you know, like a, um, and um, especially in these times. Actually, yes, and and not only that, but I remember being worried about actual life, knowing that my therapy center was um, a protected nest of, you know, like anything 
of the interference of the outside world. Yeah. Already had two kids. Uh, my my relation was okay, but you know, like not perfect. And uh, eventually, we 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 split. But um, but that was not you know accounting for the bills and and all that. And I remember telling um, one of the first post uh, therapy meeting. We had like a few, almost, I think it was on a biweekly basis. And I attended that meeting and said, um, we just spent 21 days being at five, five miles an hour, you know, like having like that loose schedule of, it was it was rigid in terms of, you know, like what we had to do, but it was, you know, like wake up at seven, go take your breakfast, 8.30 we start. And, you know, like it was like like a loose, there was nothing, you know, like, you know, like there was no bills to pay and, and so on and so forth. And and going on a 15 miles per hour ride for 21 days and then going out in the outside world and being 120 miles an hour, you know, like just, I remember like going to a shopping mall, driving out of the therapy and I was alone because, you know, like people w were working. So they left, they hid the key somewhere of my truck. And, and so I, I drove and wanted to drive right to a, uh, well, first of all, a record, a record store because I, I, I had missed music for three weeks and wanted music and opening the door of the shopping mall and having like almost like a, it, you know, like it was, it was too fast. I was, yep. I remember having like almost being nauseated, like, oh, what the fuck? People are running, you know, like it, it was, it was too much. Um, and later going to a toy store and, and feeling my first um, dry, feeling of obsessive compulsiveness um i i wanted to buy the old toy store for my kids because they had missed me so much you know like so um by the time i was shopping for 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 toys between the time i was shopping for toys and the time i pull out my debit card i had like that that gut wrenching feeling when i pulled out my card and it was like oh shit you know like that and that was within few hours of me out you know like so I remember the week, the week after at the at that that post therapy meeting, saying, "How do I compose with that? You know, like how how do I make this compatible? You know, like you guys telling me that there's a way of living and so on, and you know, like meditate and write your fucking inventory and so on. And <laughs> I have two kids for God's sake. You know, like I have, you know, like I had like a full life. And do you remember, Mike? How how did you cope with you know like that? I don't know how long was that therapy, but you know, like that, that kind of that cadence and, and, and actual life itself. Oh yeah, dude. I, I distinctly remember. Um, so when I got to the end of treatment at Betty Ford, I got the call that you never want to get. And that was, they sat me down and said, you're sicker than the other addicts. Like, dude, what the hell? I'm with 28 other addicts and I'm the sickest. <laughs> like what the hell? And they're like, yeah, dude, you think too much. And, and they're like, and they, so they said, you can be, you can't be too stupid for recovery, but you can be too smart. And you try to, you know, think through stuff. I don't think they were calling me smart, but they were saying, I think too much. And, and so they told me I need to go to more treatment. So I went to another treatment place. Um, I was very fortunate that I could do that. And then when I got out of there, I was like, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And they said, go, go live into move into a halfway house. So I remember I'd been essentially in institutions for seven months. And, um, and so I had gotten accustomed to recovery, but it was a very different speed inside the institutions. Right. Yep. And, and so I remember I get to the halfway house and I drop down my bags and I'm like, 
so what's the food situation here? Cause I hadn't eaten all day. And he's like, you go buy groceries and you make your own food. And I'm like, okay, cool. Where's the closest grocery store? And so I, I remember I go to the grocery store cause I, cause I was uh, in Nashville, Tennessee and I'd never been in Nashville, Tennessee. And I remember going down of all things, the cereal aisle, uh, the cereal aisle. And I'm trying to pick what cereal I'm going to eat or buy so that I can eat for breakfast. And I distinctly remember having this fear that if I pick the wrong cereal, I'm going to relapse. No actual rational causation that I could rationalize, but I visualized my drug of choice jumping me in the alley on the way out and forcing itself inside of me if I picked the wrong cereal. And, and, and everything I picked up at the grocery store, I had this like fear of if I make the wrong decision here, I'm, I'm going to end up relapsing because I didn't know what leads to a relapse. It was my first time in recovery. Um, and so I think for a period of time, it was a really hard adjustment to life on life's terms, partially because I hadn't really dealt with the real world without the use of chemicals in a long time. Um, I'm in a new city in a new region. Um, it's almost a different language, right? What the fuck does y'all mean? I don't know, but I, I figured it out. Um, and, and I, at the same time, I know that 90% of the people that are in this, that halfway house with me are going to relapse statistically. So like what it's almost a foregone conclusion that I'm going to relapse. So my job is to find out how it's going to happen. That was yeah. my fear. And, and so as a result, every little decision that I made became paralyzing to some degree. And at the same time, I was really fortunate. They told me I had to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor and start working the steps. And when I started doing that, I was able to ask them like, so what leads to a relapse? And they're like, dude, if you do what we tell you to do, you'll never use again. I was like, oh, I was like, well, and then you hear stories about, and you know, you, I don't agree that anyone should ever test this, but you hear the story of, the person that tried to bartend that relapsed because they weren't working in program, but you hear about the someone, the person that was working in program had to bartend and was able to without using because their program was so strong. And, and I never thought that I could ever have bulletproof recovery. Um, and I don't know that anybody has technically bulletproof recovery, but if you work an active program, it's, it's the closest thing too. And so yep. that, that allowed me to not be as scared. And that, that took some of the fear of just living life, I was able to enjoy life a little bit more. And, uh, and, you know, as I hung out with more addicts, I had time um, and they showed me how they enjoyed life. You know, I remember thinking, well, life's going to suck now. And now what I realized was I needed really extreme highs to make up for the really extreme lows. But when you live a life in recovery, it can be a little bit more moderate on either side of the equation. Most days it's good. Yeah. And it's uh, less of a rocky roller coaster of emotion. Yeah. As time goes by. I miss the like, highs so. and lows because I'm an addict, but at the same time, like, man, if you take, if you go past the kid that started using, I had the same desire that everybody else had. I just wanted to be content. I yep. want to feel safe, secure, loved, and content. I don't need to feel, you know, manically happy. I just, I just want to feel content. I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. And you know what? Recovery taught me how to do that without the use of alcohol or drugs and other things. You know, I mean, I, I went through stints where, you know, I was 
borderline you know, workaholic. I went through a stint where I thought I could buy my happiness. Um, I thought I went through a stint where I thought sugar would make me happy. Went through a stint where I thought um, relationships, romantic relationships would make me happy. I mean, I, I tried all the things that those of us in recovery try to do because, you know, the four most addictive things other than drugs and alcohol are people, um, food, uh, work and things. And, and, and I tried all those things, but luckily I was able to work a program. And so every time they, the, you know, I got to the end of the, the, the rainbow and there wasn't a pot of gold of contentedness hiding behind my 15th pair of jeans or that girl that I shouldn't be dating or that huge pie or whatever it was. I was able to learn how to deal with life and life's terms and, um, consistently and how to be content. And, you know, I carry on more stress today than I need to, and I'm not present as often as I could be. And there's more joy to be had, but every, almost every day I feel confident that I can deal with life and life's terms. And almost every day I walk around with a tremendous amount of gratitude for the problems that I have and for the life that I have. And, the only difference between me, I'm 41 years old and I should have been dead 16 years ago. Um, or no, not 16 years ago. Well, yeah, I thought I would die at 25, but I've been clean almost 18 years. Um, the, the only difference is recovery, but like the, I haven't really had a chance to talk about it here, which has been great. Cause I always talk about the business stuff, but I just want to say that anyone listening, here's my message. Check out my Ted talk, check out my book. My Ted talk is called great leaders do what drug addicts do. And it's got like 1.7 million views. And here's the fucking message. Recovery is not the thing that you do to neutralize the bad thing. Being an addict and having recovery gives you a fucking professional superpower. I learned how to use my recovery for professional gain. It made me a three-time CEO and it can make anyone do that. So anytime I find someone that is an addict and active addiction, I'll be like, look, you can, you can never use again. You can get this recovery, but here's the thing I want you to know. You like getting things that make you feel good. You like getting things that you want. If you want to be successful in the traditional domain that most people want to in the professional world or whatever, if you learn this thing called recovery, you'll be a fucking superpower, superhero. You'll be like the X-Men or Superman or whatever, and you will have skills that they don't teach people at Harvard. So go in there. Fuck. Amen, Mike. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you know, like it, it's so weird because, and you know, like I, maybe, you know, maybe not using amen in the right place, but you know, like what I'm saying is that um, few things that comes into mind. First one is that at some point I lost my shit just telling people, can I embrace what I am? But you know, like I'm not using what I'm saying is that you know, like you know, like like the the defects, you know, like the the I, I don't remember the, the exact translation of it, but you know, like like getting rid of your defects and getting rid of you know like your 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 defects of characters and all that, you know, like the, because you know like it's part of the some of the literature of you know, like, and I was like, I embrace that. I'm in sales for God's sake, you know, like I'm I'm passionate and just like fiery individual. Can I fucking embrace that and leverage that? Because if I wasn't that, I wouldn't be a successful sales guy. You know, like so yeah. can I embrace some of that fire and embrace some of that who I am and and that's it. And so amen to what you just said because you know like that's exactly I think if I understand correctly, that's pretty much what you just said. You know, like which is leverage Who that fucking fire, leverage yeah. those those to for good. You know, like just for for you know, like the, the bright side of things. Um, and the other thing is that you know, like and and no no 
no disrespect to it saved my life you know like so the last thing i would do is to disrespect any of you know like what the, any of the programs at all but you know like i i tend in the next in, in the last few i would say even the last few years to tell people to give themselves a fucking break and what i mean by that is that you know like i i i've had, you know like i've had a feeling that you know like we've we've talked We've over-talked about things a bit. Meaning that, you know, like, as, as I said for the, you know, like, the, the, the embracing what we are, you know, like, I, I was on a discussion with someone last week and, you know, like, it was a meeting and then we were the last two left, you know, like, on, and he was telling me about, like, non, you know, like, um, zero alcohol beer and, you know, like, we had, like, a bit of a back and forth and all that, you know, like, and I said... He had so much word around, you know, like, oh, I think I'm, you know, like, um, um, affect, you know, like, uh, 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 I'm, I'm dependent of the, the affection of my, my girlfriend. And, you know, like, so I, I won't shave my beard because she said, you know, like, I said, give yourself a fucking break here. You know, like, stop, stop trying to elaborate and explain and just, stop are you using no okay let's start from there you know like yep. your mind is brighter because you've stopped using that's that's the first step <laughs> pretty much like the first step of that manual is don't use yeah and then just pick you know like stop talking about it and pick you you hate your beard because you you think it's it's imposed by the lady which you're sharing your life with just fucking cut it off you know, like, stop trying to explain why you keep it or why you, you won't cut it off because you're uncomfortable. You know, like, trust what your gut is telling you. And the more I'm doing that right now, the, the um, more at ease I am with life itself. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the more I listen to, you know, like, either call it a voice or something, it's just like you feel your gut just flipping. You know, like, it's like, oh, okay, that's, that's not me. You know, like, that's not what and who i am and so if you if you it's like fight club you know like don't use and step two is <laughs> don't read use. step one and repeat you know like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know like don't don't yeah i mean don't use and if you in doubt just don't use and but then it's um it's it's just great that you you, you what you just said about you know, like um using those powers because they are powers they're not necessarily defects you know like we're not we're not um we're not defective you know like we're yeah. you know like there's you know like because sometimes it, you you could be led to believe that you know like th those are actually true defects and they're not you know like they're just they were used for the destruction and now you need to use them for construction and for for blooming and and just exploding in good you know so so yeah i mean like uh, it's great that you just mentioned that and the last question i have for you mike is how's your life now you know like you t you told me about you know like having two kids which is like probably something new like the parenting thing and and um yeah parenting is fucking hard dude um <laughs> yeah uh so one thing I would add to what you said, though, is, yes, I'm saying embrace who you are. But I think part of what I'm also saying is, is that 
when you enter recovery, you learn some practical methods to make life better and easier by being your true self. And so like, regardless of what program you're in, I've like in my book, I distilled it down to three principles, practice rigorous authenticity, surrender the outcome and do uncomfortable work. And all three of these are skills that most people don't know how to do. Like people can talk about when they were authentic in front of grandma, but people aren't rigorously authentic. They aren't true themselves no matter what in any situation. People, you know, pay lip service to surrender, but like professionals, leaders in companies and organizations don't surrender the outcome as a way to get ahead. But addicts learn how to do that in recovery. Um, and you want to talk about do, learning how to do uncomfortable work. Professionals know how to do hard work and smart work. That's physical and intellectual. Addicts know how to do uncomfortable work. That's emotional. And we've all seen professionals that aren't addicts doing eight hours of hard work, avoiding 10 minutes of uncomfortable work, like a difficult conversation with an employee or a customer or whatever. And so what we have to learn how to do to recover are actually, I've done a lot of research on this in the last 25 years, have become the definitive leadership skill set in the professional world. So you can actually go into a program or a meeting and you can actually, for a really shitty cup of coffee in an hour of your time, learn a leadership skill set that actually people in corporate America want. And people as entrepreneurs, like I was in corporate America, I was an entrepreneur. We all, we actually want the skills that recovering addicts learn in recovery. And so my life today is about taking my experience in a fortune 50 company as a leader. I left that company. I founded an Inc 500 company. I wrote a book. I did Ted talk. I led a nonprofit that, you know, helped entrepreneurs start and grow a business, 2000 of them a year. And, and what I learned was the principles that addicts use to recover will transform leadership. And so today I use those, I am active in my recovery. I, I have a sponsor. I sponsor people. I do service. I go to meetings. Um, in addition to that, I have a family. And like I said, that shit is hard, dude. It is rewarding and awesome, but it is hard. You know, everybody, when I had my first child told me I wouldn't sleep, nobody warned me that I would feel no connection to her and feel like a reluctant tourist father in my own home. No one told me about that. But when I went into my home group and shared about it, I had like five dudes that related to what I was saying. I was like, well, why didn't you fucking tell me about that? Because people don't want to talk about that stuff. So we're, so personally, I'm trying to be the best father and recovering addict and, and husband I can be. But what I do professionally all day, every day is I help people, whether they're in recovery or not, learn the principles that people use in recovery and use that as a competitive advantage in their professional lives, because that's where they spend 40 to 60 hours a week. And that's a world that is hostile to the principles that we learn in recovery. It is hostile. They tell you not to be yourself. They tell you to obsess over all outcomes and to find the easier, softer way to make a buck or get ahead. And so I teach professionals how to use the spiritual principles that we learn as a way to not only have a more fulfilling career, but become better leaders and then have a better life. And that also means, unfortunately, that I have to walk what I uh, talk. And that means I have to practice it on full display with all my people in, in my program. Um, but that's, that's my life. I'm trying to carry the message through all the facets. And the one you know thing that I think that I'm trying to do that I haven't seen other people do is I've seen people talk about great leadership. I've seen addicts tell their story. I've never seen anyone say, I'm going to take what addicts have been using for, you know, 80 years and turn it into a leadership skill set that can allow anyone to be truly great, even if they're just leading themselves. 
And, and that's what I'm trying to do while I'm respecting the traditions and the steps and where I came from and honoring my own personal experience using those. So that's, that's what I do today. And it's really rewarding and it's also not easy. Final thing, Mike, where can people find you? You know, like, cause you know, like I'm, 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 I'm going to be buying the book. I can, you can be sure of that. You know, like that, you know, like it's, uh, it's something that, you know, like it, I see similarities of some of the conversation that I've had, you know, like it with, with the people that I know. And, um, you can be sure that, you know, like there's going to be a, a new purchase in the next few days of, you know, like that book. Awesome. So, but I, I, I have to ask, you know, like, where can people find you? Where is, you know, like, where is that, um, Ted talk and, and so on. And sure. You can get the, yeah. the book and the Ted talk at greatleaderbook.com just greatleaderbook.com. And then if you want to just learn more about me or my story, or I'm putting out a lot of authentic content, I call it mask free, which in a pandemic is weird. I've been saying it for years, but we were taught in recovery that we were masks and I'm not talking about physical yep. ones. Um, and so one of the things that I have is um, a ton of content that is mask free because social media is a masked world. So if you Google Michael and then Brody hyphen weight, B-R-O-D-Y hyphen W-A-I-T-E, um, God gave me a jacked up last name. I'm the only one with it. So I got teased mercilessly. But the cool thing is if you put that into Google search, you'll get my website and you'll get my um, social media properties and you'll be able to learn more about me and and be able to pick up some of my mass free content that I'm putting out there for free. And for those that, those that listen, um, uh, the description of that episode is going to contain all of the links that Mike just talked about. And you're going to find every everything pieces of you know content that uh we we've talked during the uh the recording and mike um really you know like it's i uh, i tend to repeat you know like i must people must be just fucking okay enough already with that you know like, but uh, i'm i'm full of gratitude of people attending and people accepting to re record you know like oh I, yeah like, dude I, I, well I, i'm grateful I mean, that you have is, this uh, space for this message and if just one person hears what we have to say and it changes their life in whatever way it was worth it Yeah. And I thank you a lot for your participation. And, um, yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm already a fan, you know, like I, 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 I love what you're doing. You know, like the, there is definitely something around the, the, what we are as individual and, you know, what's going on out in the world and, um, professionally, we need to combine those two. And those are, You know, like unbeatable strength. My, this is pretty much my guess, and and I think that's where you know, like that path you you decided to elaborate on, and you know, like I need to know further more about this. You know, like so. Thanks a lot, Mike. Really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. It was great. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye.